Okay, Liz, here's some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, multiple systems, delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs, you cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems, and you improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. The following podcast contains explicit language. Ooh, is that a new vegan bar? Yes, it's a peanut butter protein crispy. Is it good? It's delicious. You're going to end up turning me into a vegan. That is my evil plan. Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Sarah Fain, a TV writer and producer living in L.A., and with me is my high school friend and writing partner, Liz. That's me, Liz Craft. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. In this episode, we talk about why enough is enough. Then in You're the Boss, we'll talk to filmmaker and author Morgan Simpson about his new book, What's Running You? How to Become the Entrepreneur of Your Life. You know I love anything about being an entrepreneur. (laughs) I do. And finally, Liz, you have a Hollywood hack aimed to help all of those who share our desire to dress better. Yes, but first we have a couple of updates. We want to wish a very happy birthday to Mindy from Kansas City. Yay! She is our most loyal fan, so she's probably listening. So men, have a great day. Happy birthday, Mindy. Okay, Liz, we recently announced that we have two pilots in development. One is at CBS and one is at ABC. We already shared the details of the show for CBS, and now we can talk about the one for ABC. Yes, it is called Plastics, and it's about three female plastic surgeons who have a practice in New York City. Sarah, what really drew us to this project is this statistic that 92% of all plastic surgery patients are women. Yes. And yet 85% of the plastic surgeons are men. Yes, there are just not a lot of women who go into plastic surgery, and it's a $16.5 billion industry every year. Yes. It's a fascinating area. As we mentioned before, we're doing this with McGee's company, Wonderland Sound and Vision, and with 20th TV, and it's for ABC. And we're very excited about it. Yes, we are. All right. So we've been getting a lot of questions about the definition of a put pilot, though, because the ABC pilot is a put pilot. And a couple articles that announced it mentioned that, and people have been saying, what's a put pilot? Or people have been saying, yay, congratulations, you got a put pilot. So what a put pilot is, basically, is a pilot that the network has committed to making. Now, we know that's, you know. 
Yes. I mean, the idea is, okay, they're going to make this. But in fact, like, they can change their mind. Yes. If they don't like the script, they're not going to make it. So although we love having a pilot, we know that it's on us to have a script they want to make. Yes. They're incentivized to make it. They basically have to pay a big penalty to the studio if they don't. Yes, we Um, don't see that money, but the studio does. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So we certainly hope it gets made because we think it's going to be awesome. Oh, yeah. And of course, Sarah will keep everyone posted along the way about the progress of both of our development projects. Yes. Okay, it's time for From the Treadmill Desk of, in which we discuss what's most pressing in our work psyches. And this week, it's Enough is Enough. Yes, and this concept applies to many things, which we'll get into. But in particular, it's on our minds because we're in the midst of writing various documents for the CBS project and for the ABC project. And we really want to remind ourselves as we tackle these documents that enough is enough. We cannot, we should not, we must not overwrite Yes. It can be tempting to go on and on and on when you're writing any kind of document. In our case, we're working on a beat sheet. But overwriting is death. Oh, God. It's just, yes. Brevity is the soul of wit, right? Yes. Less is more. In all of these documents, it is so tempting to just, like, write every single moment of everything that happens in a scene and who's feeling what, when, and why, and... It just weighs everything down. The key to these documents is to impart what you need to impart, make it not confusing, Mm -hmm. hit the emotion, and move on. Yes. A phrase that comes to mind is don't gild the lily. (laughs) Just keep it simple and move on. I think part of it, and this comes with experience. We don't feel the need to gild the lily as much. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes people feel if I hand in more pages or if I make my presentation twice as long, everyone's going to see how hard I'm working. Yes. And it's going to seem like I'm a better employee. Right. When in fact, you know, actually just presenting something that is manageable to consume is being the better employee. Yeah. Now that we've done this for a while, when I see something that's overwritten, when I see Mm. something that's too long, I immediately think this person is inexperienced and this person doesn't know what's important to communicate. Yes. We might not even read something if it looks too overwritten. Yeah. Um, And, you know, look, for one thing, wading through a lot of material can be laborious But also from where we sit, we want to leave room for people to have thoughts and opinions and to have a dialogue about the material. If we just kill, 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 (laughs) they're not going to have room to have an opinion. Right. And nobody likes that. And it also, in not putting everything in, the questions that people ask then become what clarifies for us what the important questions Mm, are. Yes, absolutely. Now, Sarah, this is not just in writing. We recently heard a very interesting tip from an executive coach about not over-explaining in meetings. Mm -hmm. Her advice was to present whatever conclusion you've come to on the matter being discussed and then move on. Don't explain why you come to this conclusion. If someone wants to know, they can ask questions. Right. Same concept. It's like just present what you need to present and then let them ask questions. Mm -hmm. 
Because over-explaining just makes you look weak. It really does. I think often people think, like, the more words I say, again, the more words I write, the more words I say, the more legitimate I sound. Right. Not true. Nope. I feel like we should wrap this up now. Have we said enough? I was enough? just going to say, now I'm very self-conscious <laughs> about, I'm like, oh, I just said that phrase twice. Yep. Bad, bad. <laughs> yeah, so enough is enough. Coming up, we talk to Morgan Simpson about his new book, What's Running You? But first, this break. Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Last night, I had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Okay, Liz, it's time for You're the Boss, in which we discuss how we can all take charge of our own careers. And this week, we're going to talk to Morgan Simpson about his new book, What's Running You? How to Become the Entrepreneur of Your Life. It's pretty much all about how to approach being the boss of your own life. Morgan Simpson is an author, actor, and filmmaker. For the past three years, Morgan has co-hosted the podcast The Other F Word, Conversations About Failure. His latest work is his first nonfiction book, What's Running You? How to Become the Entrepreneur of Your Life. It's a short but profound guide to help its readers realize who or what is in charge of their lives and how to make the changes to take back control. Morgan, welcome. Welcome. Thank you all so much for having me. I appreciate being here. It's great to see y'all. You too. So Morgan, tell us about the book. What's Running You, How to Be the Entrepreneur of Your Life is a book where I just combine three elements that I love. I, uh, entrepreneurship, story, and I add some spirituality in there as well. I use the, the metaphor of an entrepreneur throughout the book. Like you're either the entrepreneur or you're the employee of your life. And then I take that metaphor beyond that and I talk about, you know, that uh, – an entrepreneur can have a board of directors around them and getting good people around you supports you. And then ultimately, every board has a chairman. And that chairman is kind of that idea or belief that's really driving you. It's kind of the boss behind the scenes. So it's kind of about looking at that because most of us don't think about that. So something's driving us that we don't really know what it is and getting in there and fixing that and living out of a better belief that kind of lets us live more as an entrepreneur of our life instead of the employee. So you start the book asking the reader whether they're an entrepreneur or an employee. Right. What do you mean by that? Well, I use the metaphor of an entrepreneur for your life to kind of talk about, are you running your life or is someone running you? And when I think you're running your life, you're kind of living your life more from your true self instead of your false self that's kind of letting other people define who you are on some level. 
What was interesting to me is at the beginning of the book, you talk about when you wanted to be a guest speaker at your church. Right. And you were hesitant to approach the priest, Jimmy, about being a guest speaker. And you sort of realized you were being an employee, sort of waiting for someone to tell you what to do as opposed to being the entrepreneur who's self-directed. Yeah. Yeah. That was an interesting case. So I go to this funky little Episcopal church in West Los Angeles. It's very casual. It's non-liturgical. And there's kind of like a discussion after the talk. So we have great speakers come in there. And I'd given a a couple of talks before. And Jimmy's like a good friend of mine. And we'd even talked about these talks. And he had a couple of weeks open. And I was like, he's probably going to ask me to give a talk. you know? And I'd already kind of had some of the material of this book. And I, uh, so I had to kind of a take on a talk I wanted to give. And, um, and it just never came up. We would talk, you know, I'd hear him talking about it and he would never mention me. And I was like, man, that is so weird. You know, instead of bringing it up, I kind of just got offended and kind mm-hmm. of, you know, like an employee, I guess I just kind of got upset and kind of pissy about it and kind of walked away. And then eventually I said something to him about it. And he was like, you know, I didn't know you wanted to do that. I had no idea. I was waiting for him to ask me. He didn't know. And I think on some level, I talk about the book, this was hard to say, I think he never saw in me like what I wanted him to see, which is tough because I think a lot of us feel that way. Like we, we're showing something and, and people aren't getting what we feel like we have inside of us a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. so they're not, they're not getting that. And that can be really painful, but ultimately it's up to us to go ask for what we want and not wait to be chosen. It's really true. I mean, that's a segment we call You're the Boss. And it's like you have got to tell people what you want to do. which is tough. You can't wait for them to anoint you as a guest speaker. Yeah. You know, it's just not going to happen. One, it's not their job. It's not their role. And everyone is so kind of in their own stories and living their own lives. They're not thinking about right. us the way we might think they are. They're just, right. they're thinking about how they're not being chosen in certain areas or what they're trying to do. So as we're waiting around, like, because we're kind of the center of our stories, we're like, why aren't we in their story, you know? But, exactly. But they're doing their own thing. So we really have to take that control back and run our lives, ultimately. So, Morgan, you go into a lot of the different elements that go into being an entrepreneur instead of an employee. Right. The stress, the need to be creative, the need to be honest with yourself, which you were just talking about. You also talk about accepting that not everyone is going to love you. Yeah, and we struggle with that because we want everyone to love us. Yeah. What advice do you have for people who really want everyone to love them, and how do you deal with that? I think this kind of goes to the chairman a bit. I mean, I think you have to value being yourself more than being loved. So it's not like you don't want to be loved, but just when you value your own truth and that honesty, you're probably going to have some people who push back on you. I talk about like everyone's ultimately afraid of what someone thinks about them. Like you're afraid to say something in front of someone because it'll upset them or, you know, so we kind of adjust ourselves. So I think it's ultimately like you have to be truthful to yourself. You're right. Yeah. It's like and another thing that, you know, I always think is this saying that a strong voice attracts as well as repels. Yeah. So it's just like not everyone is going to love you, but maybe some people will love you more because you're more your authentic self. Yeah. What I try to do in the book a little bit is take this kind of entrepreneur idea and say we have a chairman of the board who are kind of like, you know, I use a lot of elements of story in there where these are kind of our guides to help us through this journey to kind of become the entrepreneur of our lives. But behind every board is a chairman. And the chairman is that idea that's really ultimately running you, that idea or that belief. And we have a lot of beliefs in our life. So the idea, the belief of like, 
wanting to be loved is not a bad belief. I mean, there's a lot of good things that come in that. There's like connection. I want good relationships with people. That just can't be the chairman for you. That can't be the ultimate thing that trumps everything else. So it can be a part of it, but ultimately it can't lead you. You know, mm-hmm. it's a good servant, terrible master is a lot of mm. a lot of false chairmen. Well, and kind how of do art. we uncover that? How do we figure out what's running us? That's a lot of the process of the book that we talk about is kind of finding that deeper thing. And I would say, ultimately, a lot of it's tied to what emotion you're feeling, because I think ultimately what's running us is the emotion behind the beliefs. And I would say the secret of the book in some level is like, do you feel at your core like worthy or not? You know, because if you don't fill that, then you get a bunch of these false chairmen's kind of fill that. So if you can fill that and fill worth, then you kind of, those things kind of match up in the proper order. So it's like you're probably either being run by fear or by ego or by, as we were talking about, a desire to be loved. Yeah. And if you can look at that and understand it, then... Like, what do we want to be running us? I think ultimately love or fear, not love and like just the desire, but like coming from a place of worthiness is what I would say that love is, you know, where you're not needing, where fear, you're kind of, your ego takes over and you're trying to like distort, manipulate relationships. You're kind of trying to get things out of people. So I think ultimately at its heart, you're kind of run by fear or love, even though those show up in a lot of different beliefs. So it's kind of like finding the core of that and then replacing it. And replacing it with worthiness. Right. Which is a totally different way to enter the world and be in the world. It's similar to something we've talked about, which is coming from a place of abundance. Uh huh. You know, yeah. it's in that same world. You're in a much better spot when you come from a place of worthiness, of abundance, of good things as opposed to bad things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot like, I mean, just in a generic sense, it's like the, <laughs> it's kind of like Star Wars, the good and the dark side. Like you're coming uh-huh. more from <laughs> positive stuff or from darker stuff. Because the darker stuff's pretty seductive and easier to choose, you know? So it's kind of which place we're running our lives from is ultimately what the book's about. Well, it's what we say about our friend Nancy. It's easy to be heavy. It's hard to be light. Yes. It's exactly you can complain all day, but to have that lightness takes effort. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Now, okay, I want to talk about this, Morgan, because you talk about in the book having a board of directors in your life, which I think is a really intriguing notion explain this? Well, I think one, we're all influenced by people already. So we probably already have some form of a board of directors. It may be a really terrible one. (laughs) So you have to like be very cautious about who those people are. And I write in the book, like you don't have to, people don't need to know you're on their board, you know, mine don't, although now they might because I wrote about them in the book. But, uh, you know, I think it's about picking people who are for you, who choose you, who you choose to put yourself around positive people. And I think who push you, you know, I think sometimes this is something I write about in the book, which is tough because, you know, we're all in a a tough industry and I see people like wanting mentors and I've never really had a great mentor in the business per se, Mm -hmm. you know, but I think there is something where I think now we see mentors as someone like, I want somebody to come in and like, just give me the top, you know, I want someone to kind of come and save me. But if you look, because I use a lot of story, like story is kind of that journey that kind of gets us to that place and kind of the, you know, the outline of story. So I think like if you look at stories, like your board of directors, your guides are people who generally make life a little tougher on you in some sense, you know? It's like I talk a lot about the karate kid in there a little bit because I rode by and made Heather look at the the places I love, where it was shocked because I love 80s movies. And like (laughs) when it begins, like 
guides generally come in and make your life a little harder because they're mm. trying to develop skills in you so that you can, you know, get through the obstacles and kind of challenges of your lives to defeat the dragon, whatever it is you're trying to do. So I think you're really looking for different voices, you know, and you can have them on there for different reasons. I talked about you can have people on there for a reason, a season, or life, you know, mm-hmm. depending on, like a personal trainer is a great guide. If you're trying to get in shape, like someone who's going to push you, they're not going to do the push-ups for you, but they're going to help you understand how to do it, motivate you to do it, and push you to do it. And another thing, let me just say, I think the great thing about a board of directors is inherent is in that idea is that I don't have all the answers. Mm. You know, I don't know it all. I'm going to yeah. need help. I'm going to fail. I'm going to fall on my face. And um, I'm going to need people to help me through this. Well, you've been the co-host of the podcast, The Other F Word, Conversations About Failure, for three years. Has that changed how you view failure? Yeah, I think it has. And I think, you know, I had the idea for the book years ago. It hit me in the shower. I was very grandiose giving a talk for, I picture myself giving like a commitment. I mean, it's ridiculous. But <laughs> but I had this idea and um, two things connected for me. And so when I got on the podcast, I was like, this kind of ties to that idea of like, because part of an entrepreneur's failure. So I wanted to see like, it connected to me. That's how I connected to the podcast. And it definitely did. I definitely see it as part of that journey. I don't, it reinforced the ideas because I could see, you know, talking to people each week, you see how people cope with things. Because that's what a lot of this book is. We're coping with things and we're covering ourselves up with stuff. And and you see people have gone through it and kind of on the other side and been able to deal with that failure. But it let me view the kind of process as a whole and kind of see how failure affects us and how it, it made the ideas of the book kind of uh, validated them, which was really nice, you know, because I had this idea and you're like, is this true? But it, you, when you talk about people each week, you can kind of see it. Do you think, having done a podcast about failure, that you are more willing to fail in your own life? Mm. Not as much as I thought I would be, if I'm being totally (laughs) honest. Kind of because I'll have that moment where I'm just like beating myself up for failure. I'm like, I talk about this. Like, how can I not? So I think that's where the practice. So I think I'm faster to realize I'm doing Mm -hmm. that and like go through, hey, this is a part of life. That's what I would say. I would say I'm faster noticing mm-hmm. that I'm in that cycle and getting out of it, but I still get in it and like, oh, man, it's tough. You know, and you think like, yeah, I should have this failure thing down, but it's just practice. But I notice it faster. So, yes, it does. Well, that's it has huge. been helpful. I mean, yeah. I think noticing and responding and changing is, yeah. that's a great evolution. Well, I think that's all. If I had anything in the book, I think all the practices in the book, I would say that's the key with all this is like, Life is a combination of all these things. Like you're constantly living from your best self, your, you know, your false self. I think the whole trick is becoming more conscious of it and being able to kind of breathe, let that go, and kind of shift into better places. So it's a constant kind of practice. So, Morgan, what is the first thing that our listeners can do today to be the entrepreneurs of their own lives? That is a great question. One, I think just starting to look at yourself is that and starting to say, I'm responsible for this life. I think just doing that, because when even when I think about being the entrepreneur of my life, it helps me kind of shift out of that victim role, you know, because it's yeah. easy to get into that, man. Like, why isn't this person doing this? I'm getting screwed on this, you know? Like, so I think just starting to become conscious of that is a real helpful process. Do the superhero <laughs> pose. Yeah. That is helpful. Isn't that? I, I read something. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That it's really like, if you do that for like two minutes, it changes your whole thing. So yeah, just do that. And Morgan, you have a special offer for our listeners. I do. I do. If uh, anyone wants to buy the book this first week and they email me uh, the receipt information at bonus at morgansimpson.com, I will send you a free audiobook. 
of the book. Or if you buy the audio book, I'll send you, you know, the ebook or whatever you want. Nice. Yeah. Thank you. So act now. That's right. Morgan, thank you so much for joining us today. You can buy Morgan's book on Amazon or at morgansimpson.com. Follow Morgan on Instagram at tmorgansimpson. Next up, a Hollywood hack that will help you define your style. But first, this break. I don't know about you, but we're always looking for ways to get our kids involved and give back in our local community. That's why we're excited to tell you about Student Visionaries of the Year, a campaign by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, which is the largest nonprofit organization dedicated to creating a world without blood cancers. Student Visionaries of the Year is a seven-week philanthropic leadership development program for high school students. Participants form strong teams and fundraise in honor of a pediatric blood cancer survivor in their local community. I would love for Violet to do this program when she's in high school. This program is transformative. It not only helps students develop valuable life skills like project management, communication, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship, not to mention it looks great on college applications, but most importantly, it's also a chance for them to engage in meaningful work within their community and make a real impact on blood cancer patients and their families. You can learn more about Student Visionaries of the Year or even nominate a student at lls.org slash students. That's lls.org slash students. Okay, Sarah, it is time for this week's Hollywood hack. Find a signature designer. Yes. I love this. Yeah. No, I love the idea of a signature anything. You know, signature <laughs> yes. scent, signature color, signature whatever. And so I had the idea recently that I should try to have a signature designer. We're both on a quest. I think me, you dress better than I do just in the normal course of life. I'm on a quest to dress more professionally, to just look better in general. And so I've decided that if I can narrow it down, it'll be easier to shop and make choices. Right. Well, this is this is an offshoot sort of of having a, a uniform. Huh? Yes, it is. You know, yes. it's like it's another way to have a uniform um, and just make your life easier and and cut down on decision fatigue, really. Yes. Um, so you initially went with a very expensive designer, I have to say. Yes. Acris Punta was going to be my <laughs> signature designer. So I have been scouring the internet for months for like 70% off Acris Punto jackets, uh, which I got a few. Um, And they're quite nice. And they're very nice. But I have decided that on balance, Acris Punto is too corporate for me. Um, That it's great if I was an executive, but that it's just a little too corporate for a television writer. Because we talk often about how writers should dress like writers. Yes. So (laughs) now I've chosen Veronica Beard as my signature designer. I decided that she's sort of the right amount of professional and hip and a bit trendy. Yes. Not as, still not cheap at all, but not as expensive as Acris Punto. And again, you can find sales for everything. Like I just got some jeans from Veronica Beard that were like 75% off. Um, Now I will say, Sarah, so far I only have two items. I have a pair of jeans and a blazer, but I'm definitely going to expand my Veronica Beard wardrobe in the next few months. Okay. Now, do you have a signature designer? 
I don't really have a signature designer. I have more of a signature store. I get a lot of things at Anthropology. Yes, you do. Yes. And that simplifies my life, certainly. Yes. Like, Anytime I ask where you got something, you're like, <laughs> anthropology. Yes. Now, what I like about this notion, because, yeah, a signature store is pretty much the same as a signature designer, is you can go any price point. I mean, you right. can decide Old Navy's your signature store or Banana Republic is your signature store because they H&M. always have the most amazing sales, Banana Republic. Or you can decide Gucci's your signature designer. So there's just like all levels and it just makes things easier and it also probably gives your look a little bit of a style. Yes. So let us know. I'm curious if any of our listeners have signature designers. Email us at happierinhollywood at gmail.com and tell us who's your signature designer. And that's it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. For questions or comments, email us or send us a voice memo. Again, to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe if you haven't already. Thanks so much to our guest, Morgan Simpson, by his new book, What's Running You? How to Become the Entrepreneur of Your Life on Amazon or at his website, www.morgansimpson.com. Thank you to our executive producer, the amazing Chuck Reed, and everyone at Sancola Sound. You can follow them on Instagram at Sancola Sound. Thank you to everyone at Cadence 13. And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Check out the other Onward Project podcasts, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, Side Hustle School, and the new podcast from Whole 30's Melissa Urban, Do the Thing. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at sfain and Liz is at Liz Craft. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join in on the conversation. Until next week, I'm Liz Craft. And I'm Sarah Fain. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. All right. <laughs> I'll check in. <laughs> yeah. Um, wait, I'm going to take my sweatshirt off. I'm going to take my shirt off, actually. It's warm. I know. I had, like, oh, yeah. layers yeah. on this morning. Oh, no, and then it's freezing. I thought yeah, you were going Violet topless. and I walked I'll to go Starbucks. topless if you want. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> the shit's getting real in here. <laughs> From the Onward Project.